did you get to spend any time with the police? Did they do that at this point in the bill, like sort of not training, but... Yeah, yeah. So before we started filming, I went out for a day uh, with a couple of uh, officers on patrol uh, around the East London area. You know, we, we went into uh, a flat in, you know, a fairly rundown area, which the door had been kicked in. So the police had to go and see if it was all right. And then anyway, we went in. It was clearly a, like a, a crack den. And so I went in there with them. There was no one in there. It was, it was vacant. And then they took me down into the basement of another building where there's like a burned out car. And I said, this is, you know, until a, about a week ago, somebody had been living in there, you know, and again, this is, you know, so you're seeing like the real underbelly of, of, um, of London life. So, uh, so yeah, that, that kind of gave you a bit of an insight into what coppers, you know, have to deal with on a daily basis. I was supposed to, I think, I think I went and had a quick chat with some of the CID guys, but I didn't actually go out with them on, on any cases. But, you know, there were always police advisors uh, in and out and obviously on any scenes where it's really necessary, they'd be there. And I did a couple of events for um, for the police, for charities, police-related charities and stuff. So so that was always good. And they, they were always, you know, sort of happy to come and talk to a, a cast member of the bill. And they loved all that, yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's a side I always find fascinating is, like, you know, when you join, you know, the bill's still earning, like, 10 million viewers. You know, it's a big, big show. And so I'm guessing with that, comes a a recognition a fame side did you start to get recognized yeah i mean i i, I didn't notice it much. i remember i was in sainsbury's not far from where i live and the little old irish lady came up to me and said what are you doing here and i was like <laughs> 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 you know uh so yeah so i'm a bit of a surprise for her but yeah i mean occasionally people come up and talk to you which is great you know it's, it's always it's always nice to meet people I know it did happen, I'm sure it did, but I, I, I didn't notice it a lot. I mean, my wife said she'd often walk down the street and just notice people double-taking when they saw me and so on. But um, but when it happened, it was always great fun, you know. Uh, people, I'd never had any problems with people. They're always very polite and friendly and, you know, interested and, uh, you know, didn't overwhelm. I, I didn't think about the, the, the bill is there weren't really any people there who were like, for want of a better phrase, paparazzi fodder, you know, we, we weren't. Followed around. I think most of us had a fairly ordinary lifestyle, to be honest. You know, we used to finish work and go home. I know in uh, previous um, film casts, there were a few uh, a few late night outs that sort of, sort of bled into the start of the next day with some some of the cast members. That uh, one of whom taught at my drama school when I was there, actually. But I think you know we were all in the main, you know, pretty sensible. So there were no headlines. So we weren't as well known as maybe. People from you know the sort of the soaps, for instance, or you know other big big regular drama. So, and who who were your main pals from from the cast or or the crew? Who who who? When you think back, do you have the fondest memories of? Uh, when we were off set, I used to play because uh, there was a snooker table back there, uh, and I used to play snooker um, with uh, with Raji and, and Gary Grant. So yeah, we used to go and, and play snooker together, and so we used to have a laugh. And I think after we'd been there six months, the six of us who started, so those two guys and Steve and Natalie and Tanya, we went out and you know had a had a sort of meal out and a few drinks and stuff. And uh, I went to the Real Ale Festival at uh, Olympia with Steve Hartley a couple of times. I think Gary was with us both times as well. Uh, so yeah, occasionally I'd, I'd go out with with Steve and some of those guys. The great thing was, you know, you, you turn up on set and obviously in the main, I was interacting with CID. So, you know, Chris Simmons, George Rossi, Carl Collins, all those guys, you know, they, they, they were always mucking about on set in between takes. But then, you know, you, you got to work with the uniform guys as well. And it was just always great fun, whoever you work with. Everyone was great to get on with and, uh, you know, we all, we all had a great time together. When people started to get the news of their 
and being axed and this new producer coming in. I mean, what are your memories of that of that time and, and how was it from your perspective, this big, huge change coming to the bill? Yeah, it was literally 9-11 because I, I got a call, I think it was from Gary, and he just said he'd just been called in to, to see Paul Marquez and he'd been told that, you know, he was, he was going to be leaving the show. And I think I rang Natalie to see, you know, to let her know and see if she'd heard anything. Natalie just said, where are you? I said, I'm just out on the streets. And she said, oh, go home, get, get your telly on. And it was literally happening as I was on the phone. So I remember it being that day specifically. In terms of the show, I mean, I was, I was probably, you know, sort of slightly thankful that I wasn't part of that first wave. I mean, I was, I was in the next wave of changes that Paul Marquez made, you know, and I felt sorry to see all those guys go because they're all great to work with, you know. Especially someone like Ben Roberts, especially, he was like, a, a great actor, but such a funny man. He was so, such a great guy. But yeah, and he obviously had been there a long time as well. But um, so yeah, it's, you know, it's a bit of a shock to the system, but I think probably people realised something like that was probably going to happen because, you know, Paul Marquez was going to want to put his stamp on, on the show. You know, and that's what, you know, his job was there, so it was, it was there to do. So, um, so yeah, I think I was the start of the next wave. I think I went and then George went and I, I forget how after that. But um, I mean, I, I watched an episode the other day of, and like counted and there were 17 different strands going on in that one episode which wow. for a casual viewer must have been well, pretty impossible to keep I guess what they wanted was to hook in a new regular audience yeah. I think part of the appeal of the bill had always been that you could just turn it on and see a self-contained story um which you guys were all doing, I feel, so well. I mean, there was needle in, in, in your ear in CID sort of permanently, wasn't there? That was the angle they wanted to go, where none of you guys were like bosom buddies, really, were as characters. You know, obviously, and there's, you know, there's the great saying that, you know, there's no drama without conflict. You know, if, if everything's just going along nicely, then it's not interesting to watch. So, you know, plus when our characters, or the six of us came in, you know, CID was under scrutiny for you know, potential corruption and so on. So, so you know, that's part of my driving force as Cullen was to make sure everything was done straight, everyone stuck to the rules, you know, no one went off piste. Uh, and obviously I had Chandra on top of me making sure that that, you know, that that was the case, because obviously he was more the politician really, and he wanted to make sure that his career was looking all right. So it was always, it was always quite funny when they had to like grab hold of Carl Collins or something like that and give him a real rollicking or, or, you know, towards the end when I grabbed Steve Hartley and or Chandler smashed him up against the filing cabinet. <laughs> yeah. So, so suddenly, you know, be doing that, you know, especially as, you know, Steve used to do a bit of boxing. <laughs> He's like, yeah. well, I hope he takes this the right way, but uh, yeah. makes it, you know, makes it a bit more exciting for the viewers as well. I mean, if there's that little bit of uncertainty about the relationships. I love that scene. It's so it's so well done. I mean, you literally pick him up like he's a piece of paper. I mean, it's it's brilliant. It's fantastic. And and you know, just just be yeah, a couple of lines on leadership skills. You know, he knows yeah. he knows what he's doing. I thought that was a really smart way. Um, I think that's one of the highlights of that early time when you know the series in its new format is still finding its feet. Some of it is unbelievable, and I think too far on the soap side. I think your storyline. They did get really well because it's very satisfying when you suddenly stand up to him. I think there's one episode I watched where I think Mickey and Duncan have, have I think they've won the lottery, so they're like on a belt leaving, 
you've got uh, Debbie bullying Eva, uh, you know, and is she pregnant by Chandler? And you, you're also bollocking Jim and June for having a lover's tiff, like, you know, and this, this poor bloke's just trying to do a, d- a good job, you know, uh, and hold it all together. But I really, I, I, I love your performance in all of that because you, you, you take it, you know, as, as it's, as you would, of course, because you're a professional, but you give it such conviction and play it with such truth, which I, I admire because it's, when, when you look at it objectively, it's a, you know, it's obviously a different kind of, it's a different kind of bill, you know, mm. uh, but you're the glue as far as I'm concerned in there because you're taking it so seriously. And when you want to unload, some of those scenes with Steve Hartley are fantastic, you know. There's loads and loads of my episodes I never even saw. So, you know, like if I had a really nice, juicy one, you know, then then I'd, I'd obviously watch it and, and you know, because obviously you have to hold on to material for making show reels and stuff like that. So, yeah. So if I knew I had some good scenes in an episode, I'd make sure I'd record it and, and so I could use it for that. And, um, but, you know, there was the, the odd episode where I literally like maybe had like one line, you know, and that would just literally tell someone to go out and do something and that would be it. So, uh, but yeah, no, I've, I've got some sort of real favourite episodes that, um, that I'll always remember, sort of having great fun sort of, sort of filming and working with the guys I work with, yeah. It's an episode where you, you get top billing, and which is... Uh... Well, it's number 21, although now it's called Ruffled Feathers. I don't know. They recently introduced titles for like the numbered episodes. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. So I think it's since they've been on the drama channel. Right. So they've, they've suddenly got these these titles now. So Ruffled Feathers, uh, where you get top billing. And you actually get to go out and do a case. Mm. Um, there's... Uh, is there's always waste being disposed in San Leon and a girl. I mean, gets... that wasn't it? That's was right. It? Yeah. Yeah. And at that time, like, you know, Debbie is having me starting to have the affair with Chandler. And in the office you've just been in, there's obviously something going on between the boss and the secretary. And you've got the great line as you're walking back into the back to the car, uh, dipping his pen in the company ink. Big mistake. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just... <laughs> she's stirring with Eva. She wants her off the squad. You go in and say, I've just spent 30 minutes calming Eva down, but she's going off to CSU and Steve Hart. So Debbie's been indiscreet. Indiscreet? More like a tank. And it's, <laughs> it's a great line. And nice when you got top billing. I always think that's a cool thing for an actor. Yeah, 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 because that was the thing, you know, because especially when, when we started, you know, because obviously Steve and uh, Natalie and, and Gary especially were getting some big storylines, and, and Tanya to an extent, and then Raji got one or two where he was, you know, front and centre. You know, and Colin was kind of always in the background, kind of, you know, being the guy they go to to, you know, get advice from or get orders from. Or... So, yeah, it was always nice when I got to get out of the office and, and be a bit more proactive in, in the investigation and so on, yeah. It's 24 episodes in a block and you're in 20 of them. I mean, you're obviously very busy towards the end. So was it a kind of double-edged sword when you, when you felt like, well, now I'm just getting stuff to do, but I'm guessing you knew by then you'd also be moving on as well? Uh, I think they get, you, you're told five or six months at least before if, that, that you're going because obviously they plan your out story into all the other threads and so on and and you know get another act, actor or actress in place because it was Lisa Maxwell came in for me because um, he kind of t- took over the, the kind of DI role for a while even though she was a DS. Yeah, but that's the thing. I think you know once you know you're going, you know you you can either 
get your head down and, and, and be a bit fed up about the whole thing, or you can just embrace it and go, well, you know, I've got some nice scenes, some nice episodes to do. Just have fun with it and uh, and really enjoy yourself, you know, and enjoy working with, you know, the fantastic crew of people that, you know, was there, you know, I say both behind, behind the scenes and the actors as well, but, you know, it was a great job to have. So, you know, I sort of got the most out of it that I could, I think. Do you have a preference of of eras, you know, the the Hanford era or the Marquez era? Which approach do you think um, served the show best? I mean, the thing about you know the Paul Marquez era was was you know he was brought in specifically to change the demographic of the audience. They wanted younger people with more spending power and so because obviously you know because all the advertisers it's all driven by the advertisers. So I think I, I believe allegedly. A, you know, before Marquez came in, the demographic was like white middle, uh, white working class, 50 year old men or something like that was the main, you know, they wanted young people in their twenties who, you know, had a lot more spending power and so forth. So it was always going to be turned into slightly more soapy type storylines to attract, you know, cause he'd obviously come from footballers' wives and stuff like that, which had, you know, was massively successful. So, so we knew kind of think what to expect. You know, if I'm honest, I'd probably say the Hanford era because, you know, he was uh, an executive producer that you could go into and talk to about storylines and, and you know, ask about your character. I realised fairly early on, once the initial cull of eight characters happened, that probably, you know, none of us would say, well, some of the very central characters would have been, but, you know, some of us slightly more peripheral characters weren't necessarily safe. But I didn't think you could probably go and talk to him and say... What about my storylines? Um, I think he'd already, you know, made quite a few decisions quite early on about how the show was going to go. So, yeah, I mean, I'd probably prefer the Hanford area, but I still had a great time working when he was there. And uh, as you say, I got some nice, nice storylines towards the end, and uh, and the out, you know, the out story was uh, was a nice one to have. So, as you say, not everyone gets that. So, and you, not everyone gets to sort of go immediately into other other telly roles, and you did. You know, you went pretty. Almost straight away into a whole B, you a dream team. The uh, dream team was directed by one of the um, uh, first ADs on the bill. He cast me an app, which was great, sort of jobs for the boys kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I also went pretty much straight into some theatre work as well for a, a friend of mine who I'd worked with as an actor. He, he's artistic director of a, a theatre company called Told by an Idiot Theatre Company. I left in June, July from the bill. And then a couple of months later, he asked me to sort of come and meet him for a, a play he was doing later that year. And uh, I ended up doing that for him. And that was that was a great job and very different, sort of very playful, very theatrical, you know, completely opposite to Cullen, uh, playing sort of three or four different characters. And, uh, you know, that that was, you know, that took us over into the next year as well. So, so that was a great job to do. So, yeah, so I did a couple of little tellies, a bit of theatre straight away. So, yeah, it's nice just to get out and think, yeah, this is what, you know, being a job in actors all about. So, yeah. Yeah, because I can imagine the, the changing routine after two years of getting up and going to Merton every day and, and when that stops, it must take some adjustment, you know, but had you kind of prepared yourself for that? Yeah, well, because I'd been working on some writing projects uh, and so pretty much as soon as I finished, I, I did start working very hard on, on my novel that did eventually get published in 2004. So yeah, so I kind of threw myself into that when, you know, apart from auditioning for any, any other acting jobs. Um, so that kept me going in that respect. And I was kind of quite glad to have the time to, to, to kind of really work on that because it's something I've been toying with 
before the bill for about a year or so and then eventually I was able to pull it together and it was 2003 we got yeah we, we got a publishing deal for it and then it was eventually published in 2004 so yeah I think I threw myself straight into that really yeah well tell us all about it because am I right you, you'd written theatre sort of earlier earlier in your career as well yeah, well, I, I wrote um, a couple of one-man shows. I, I remember I'd gone up to the Edinburgh Festival. I think it might have even been before I went to drama school. I think it was the summer before I went to drama school. And I remember seeing a one-man show, which kind of blew me away. I did three short pieces. And I just thought, oh, you know, that's an interesting... You know, I again, one-man shows were not so much thought about. So when I left drama school, I'd had this idea. I, I did a couple of, of plays after drama school with some ex-drama school mates that we produced ourselves. But then I'd had this idea to write this thing. So I wrote a one-man show, which I did at um, the White Bear Theatre in Kennington, a little pub theatre. I think it's still there, I'm not sure. Uh, and I did that for about a couple of weeks. So that was the first thing I'd really written. And then I wrote another companion piece to that and then just did that a couple of times just to, like, you know, and invited audience and friends just to try it out. And then I said, my acting agent told me, because you know I've been doing some writing about uh, a competition for Carlton Television, who were just starting up, and they had a competition for new well, for writers to write a half-hour piece uh, called "Going Underground," so set on the London Underground, so just a half-hour sort of telly screenplay. And I just had an idea, so I wrote it, and um, and it got onto the shortlist. So that kind of gave me the encouragement to keep going. So so yeah, I just kept writing and. I mean, I've made short films myself I've, I've, um, I've produced, but never had any of my screenwriting produced, but I'm, I keep plugging away at it. But, you know, I've written like film scripts and I'm writing an eight part TV black comedy sort of drama thing at the moment, which is, again, that keep, that's kept me going through sort of, you know, lockdown era. So that's been great. And then in the middle of all that, I just yeah, had this idea for, for a novel based on one or two things that happened in my childhood. Um, it's not particularly autobiographical, but they were just like a kicking off point for it. Yeah, and as I say, I'd, I'd been toying with it before the bill and after the bill, I threw myself into it. And um, yeah, we managed to get a publisher for it. I've got a literary agent and she touted it and it, yeah, got, got made into a paperback in 2004. So yeah, it was great. It's it's quite a special. I mean, I wrote I wrote a book on the early days of the bill, and when you that first time you hold it in your hand, it's a special feeling, isn't it? You know, when yeah. you, first time you get it, uh, and people can your books are still in print. People can still buy them. I, I imagine you'd probably only get it like on Amazon now, secondhand copies. Or I've also got another one which is available as an ebook, so you can read it on a Kindle or on the Kindle app, something like that, which I I put out because I was writing that or rewriting it when I was doing Harry Potter. So that must have been out about a year, two years ago, I put that out. Uh, and that's a very different book. The first one's kind of quite a dark story about a kind of life gone wrong, which is, again, only marginally uh, autobiographical, but it's about a, a, a struggling actor in his 30s and, and his um, equally struggling love life. So, um, uh, but yeah, that, that's, uh, that's a bit more comedic. And uh, yeah, it's got aspects of... Uh, my life as a struggling actor in, in, in my sort of early to mid 30s, so yeah, oh, fantastic. lots of stuff that isn't autobiographical. I hasten to add, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, some, some of you, you know, you've had some fantastic roles on telly since the bill. I had to ask about uh, Corey because I mean, a, it was a lovely, lovely performance. Your private investigator, 
I'm not a mind reader. Love, I love that line. But like, I did work experience on Corey. I think 2007, the same time. And it's it, even for you with with all your with all your experience and work. Do, do you still get a thrill when you walk onto like an iconic set like that? You know, and you're part of it. You know, it must. Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, you know, to film in the Rovers. Yeah. You know, it's great, you know. And again, you know, I wouldn't say I'm a big Corey fan, but you know, I've seen enough of it, you know, you know all the you know, the iconic shops and, and the and the pub and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, to, to actually have a scene in the Rovers was brilliant. And likewise, although I didn't I no, I did I did work in Albert Square because I did EastEnders again a few years later, playing a copper before I did Cullen. I think it was a DC, DC Fox, that was it, DC Fox. Uh and uh, yeah, so to film in Albert Square as well was just like, you know, because the first episode I was just in a, a separate because it was like a prison set, so it wasn't part of the main East Enders set. Um, yeah, filming in those places is great. It's really exciting. And of course, you know, you get to walk through some of the other sets as well and see them. So it was very exciting, yeah. And, and any uh, any shows you'd particularly like to add to your resume that you haven't worked on yet? I've never done Casualty, which, you know, again, that's again, one of those great long-running shows that, you know, a lot of actors seem to have, you know, had a chance. Um other than that, no, I mean, I'm, I'm just happy to, you know, to any job that comes along, really. You know, it was great doing Vera last year. You know, I've I've had a couple of close shaves this year with a couple of auditions, which haven't, you know, quite worked out. But, um, but you know, you just keep plugging away and hope for the best. You know, I've been seeing for some of these kind of big Game of Thrones type and The Witcher type things, you know. Yeah. And I, I grew up reading that sort of stuff and Lord of the Rings stuff, you know, just... To be in something big and epic in that kind of world, again, something like that would, would be kind of quite exciting for me, you know, because it's, yeah. I just, my imagination was fired by on that when I was a kid. So. I mean, Cullen's on the box right now because the Drama Channel are, are, are re-showing yours. So how much does the bill still follow you around and, and how pleased are you about that? I'm, I'm sure all the actors have been able to say, you know, every now and then you get these little checks through from, you know, repeats and you go... Can't believe it's still going. It's like literally 20, 19 years this year, isn't it, since I left? So, you know, you get a few quid here and there. So that that kind of keeps your awareness that it is going. I mean, it's brilliant that it's got that longevity. You know, it is amazing that um, it's still attracting, I imagine, what must be a new audience after all this time. So uh, so to be part of something as, you know, iconic as that is, is you know, it's a great privilege, really. Yeah. What are your hopes for the immediate immediate future in terms of writing yeah i mean to get to get anything kind of produced i mean on telly would would be phenomenal i mean the chances of someone like me who's never written for telly getting something produced are fairly minimal but occasionally you know these things happen so you've you know you've got to follow your dreams haven't you if if you don't if you don't dream and you know strive to achieve them then uh, there's no point going on really so i'll keep plugging away I've, i've got a very good writer director friend who, who read an early draft and he's um, he's given me a lot of great feedback so I'm just about to send him uh, a couple of episodes I've rewritten and uh, get some feedback from him and you know all you can do is keep working at it keep trying and push it out there when the time comes and you know see if someone you know takes it up but uh, yeah so from writing point of view I'll carry on with that um, I want I've, I've done a rough draft of a, an adaptation of my first novel uh, into a film so and again I want to go back to that at some point you know it'd be a low budget thing but it could have could have some potential you know there's rumours as well to finish of the bill coming back so A how do you think that could be done how would you like it to be done B would you be interested in either coming back as 
superintendent Alex Cullen or indeed writing some scripts for it yourself? You know, what what do you think about the bill returning to television screens? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, it's a sort of show that I think with the right scripts would always have relevance, you know, because it's about human stories. And uh, obviously they would update that to hopefully reflect, you know, the the social and political landscape at the moment. The chance to go back into it will be great. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I left after just under two years. I think, you know, if, if that big storyline had happened, it would have been great to sort of play that out, which I imagine would have taken about a year. And I think by then I might have thought, you know, maybe time to leave. I wouldn't have wanted to be in the show for a long, long period of time. But I did kind of feel a little bit like, you know, there was more to, to, to offer with Cullen and for myself as an actor. So yeah, the chance to go back was brilliant. Um, it'd be great to see how many of the old faces, you know, that they would bring back into it if, if they did do that. And obviously a chance to write for it as well would be brilliant. And a lot of these kind of ongoing shows, you do find actors going in and either coming back to direct or, you know, yeah. some of them are writers and they do write episodes and so forth. So who knows? But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that does happen. It'd be wonderful if it did. Because it would give so much work as well to the industry. Yeah. You know, I think that was, that was the biggest shame. I mean, it should never have come off. But, uh, you know, the amount of employment it gave as yeah. well as joy to viewers, you know. Um yeah, it'd be interesting to see if they went back to the original half-hour format, you know, single-story episodes, or whether they'll, you know, go back to as it was with ongoing storylines. And um, but uh, yeah, well, fingers crossed, it'd be great if it did come back, irrespective of whether I'm involved or not. It'd be, it'd be great to see it back on the screens. Have you got a, a, an air date yet for Vera? Do you know when it's? No, originally they were talking about it being this spring because they, they when I filmed, they were filming two episodes. I think they're kind of feature length episodes that are about two hours and they were going to film two and then have a break and then put those two out in the spring while they were filming the next two because they're only doing four episodes and they were going to go out in the autumn. But I suspect now they're going to stick them all out uh, as a block of four in, in the autumn, I would have thought. I saw... Uh, an article someone flagged it up to me um, from like the, the Newcastle Chronicle, one of the local papers up in Newcastle, saying that you know it was it was looking like it was going to happen, and Brenda Blethyn had said she thought it was going to be out soon and so forth. And I think my character's got a little mention in in the write up, so so hopefully that means he's still in there. So <laughs> yeah, I'd imagine it will be yeah um, sometime in the next in the next sort of three to four months. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's a pleasure, Oliver. Thanks for, thanks for getting me involved. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much, Jed. And I, I hope uh, your writing continues to go well. And I, I hope there's a juicy gig around the corner for you. Yeah, fingers crossed. Hello, this is Ben Payton, and you have been listening to The Bell Podcast, produced and presented by Oliver Crocker, co-produced by Ben Adams, Dan Evans, Sarah Kuyper, Alex Mockler, and Simon Wolfe. Executive produced by Glenn Allen, Ben Ashmore, Daniel Christopher, Alana Dewar, Andrew Dyack, Paul Dunn, George Fairbrother, Stuart Gibbon, Erin Gordon, Luke Hegarty, Edward Kellett, James Ladane, Lucy McNeil, Stuart and Jen Morris, Claire Norbury, Justin Pitt, Tom Sherrington, Angel Stannard, Patrick Stratford, Sarah Went and Michael Weil. Brought to you in association with georgefairbrother.com and Misty Moon Events. 
Signed copies of Oliver Crocker's book, Witness Statements, are available from devonfirebooks.com. <laughs>